Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called but of a gun put into the back of your skull, that's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. This is an Irish independent podcast. So-called artificial intelligence or AI, it does tap into this very profound, enduring human tendency, a, a proclivity or even a desire to feel anxious, to panic, to catastrophize. And it really, if you had to design something to amplify this tendency in humans, you would design AI. The idea that this time is radically different to previous times is another constant. This notion that, yes, there's always change, but this time is more profound, it's bigger, it's worse. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Square helps you look after your business needs from payments to menu management and online ordering. Visit square.com for more. Now, why are we so prone to panicking over new technology? Why do we imagine the worst is going to happen? Where once we freaked out about video games, the internet and 5G, now it's artificial intelligence we worry which will cause the end of civilization. And every time we convince ourselves that this time it's different, that this time it's game changing. But is the truth that we just can't help riling ourselves up about the next existential and technological crisis. Well, I'm joined today to discuss this by uh, Professor Brendan Kelly, who's a professor of psychiatry in Trinity College, Dublin, and Barry Lund, founder and CEO of uh, Provisio, which uses AI, among other things, for accident prevention in automobile technology. Um, Brendan, let me turn to you first. Is there a reason in general that we become panicked about new tech? I mean, is it some sort of basic human or, or evolutionary need? Yes, we, we, we enjoy feeling anxiety. We, we, you know, we enjoy feeling fear. We enjoy, if you like, catastrophizing certain things that happen. And we can see this in every culture in the world right since the beginning of time. If you, if you go back, say, to uh, novels like Frankenstein and, and, and other such imaginings, if you will, we enjoy reading about these things and this idea that there is something powerful, this other source of intelligence that is coming. And this comes up in many, many ways. So, so yes, so-called uh, artificial intelligence or AI, it does tap into this very profound, enduring human tendency, a, a proclivity or even a desire to feel anxious 
to panic, to catastrophize. And it really, if you had to design something to amplify this tendency in humans, you would design AI. It's an incredible thought that we actually enjoy anxiety because half of the articles you read in newspapers these days are how to defeat anxiety, how to live with anxiety. I've never heard it posited before that yeah. there's actually something latent or maybe obvious that we actually relish that state. So excessive anxiety is a disabling uh, condition and it really causes such such uh, limitation and harm and suffering in people's lives. But if we move back from that zone of anxiety, we enjoy feeling extreme emotions. So, for example, we enjoy watching horror movies uh, that make us feel extreme emotions, but in a relatively safe environment, sitting at home watching the telly, for example, or looking on a device of some sort. We wouldn't be happy if we were in the horror, actually, experiencing it in real life, but we enjoy vicariously experiencing it. And a lot of that is what's going on with the AI, which is that, you know, you get into these competitive conversations where people keep giving ever more extreme examples of how AI could change the world until the two people in the conversation have worked each other up into a state of absolute frenzy, you know, and you see this in commentary as well, you know, the intellectual and emotional equivalent of people running around shrieking and waving their hands in the air, having lost all grip on reality in the course of a, 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 a catastrophizing conversation about technology. And is that what you detect with going on here with artificial intelligence? Oh, absolutely. It's what's going on here, you know, beyond beyond all doubt, where people are taking what are very incremental advances in technology, very solid, if I might say so, and incremental advances, but suddenly imbuing them with this drama, this acceleration, this amplification. And, you know, it's interesting because so much of this has been around to some degree for many years. No one pulled a rabbit out of a hat here. Um, but maybe the, if you like, the pop popularization of chat GPT in November might have given a little bit of impetus. But what I think is the big impetus for the current wave of existential hysteria is um, probably, if I'm honest, the, 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 the end of the COVID pandemic. I think that we got hyped up into a state of extreme anxiety for very good reason during COVID and that this anxiety doesn't just diminish, but this anxiety was free floating and it has now found a ready-made focus. And as I say, if you had to invent a phrase, um, artificial intelligence, uh, if you had to invent a phrase for our anxiety to focus on, it would be that. The notion that there is another kind of intelligence and that it's non-human. Barry, all that having said, are we still screwed by AI? <laughs> I, I'm not a psychiatrist, right? <laughs> but I, I spend enough time with them, I will say. But what I what I would say is I'm 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 definitely a cynic, and um, and on top of what Brendan said there, I would say you know sex cells and moral panic cells as well. So I think anything you read, you know, it's it's heavily clicks driven. It, I'm always super cynical when I see you know a, a big furrow around things like artificial intelligence and things like that because it it at, at the back of it. There's usually a lot of very smart people that could put an awful lot of it to bed that have no uh, interest in doing that. So each layer of moral panic I've seen, especially around AI, has always had a financial motive. So in my own industry, autonomous vehicles, it's not that long ago, you know, the autonomous industry was saying, we're going to replace all truck drivers, there's going to be no more drivers. And there was complete panic. Everyone's going to be out of work. I like driving. You shouldn't be taking this. And 
And then you've got into these crazy scenarios of, you know, creating these moral dilemmas of how will the machine decide? Now, everyone, and I've worked in this industry for almost 20 years now, everyone in the industry knew that uh, AI-driven vehicles weren't coming to the roads anytime soon. But they had to raise hundreds of billions of dollars to pump in. And so it helped, right? And I think for me with ChatGTP, again, I, I'm watching a very interesting stage show going on around the world, bringing this around. If GPUs were free, these guys wouldn't be going around doing that, right? This is expensive stuff, you know, a 10 billion seed round, right? So you don't you don't raise that by not getting clicks and not having the entire world talking about it. So if you forgive my cynicism, um, I think we're a long way away from machines uh, doing this harm that, that that's mentioned, but also... We need to think about it the other way. And obviously, that's how we think about it in the accident prevention space of, you know, how can we actually harness AI to save us from ourselves, right? Because it's, it's very funny with the, with the automotive industry, especially, right? Like people are always worried about the machine taking decisions and, and, and everything like that. And we forget the fact that 1.35 million people are killed on our roads every year, another 50 million maimed by hunks of metal right and and like that is a you know a, you know a two percent well, that, yeah that, that's a slightly different conversation and i might we might i might come back to you on that for a different podcast because there is a little bit of a nuance there for example there's a really good washington post piece uh, the other day uh, interrogating tesla statistics and nobody well i certainly don't doubt that automated driving will be safer and probably is safer now already and yet it is still possible to cut corners um so that you're not getting the optimum result in terms of safety but um but just just before i go back to to brendan on this i think the three of us are kind of singing off the same hymn sheet here and yet at the same time we we should acknowledge some pretty senior serious figures and we're still talking about ai here now right sam altman chief executive of chat gpt maker open ai um, chief executive of google DeepMind, um dr jeffrey hinton uh, of google these people are all coming out and saying that AI could be weaponized, it can generate misinformation, it might be concentrated in fewer and fewer hands. They're even talking about a scenario of enfeeblement where humans become dependent on AI, um, a little bit like in the film WALL-E. Now, I, I suppose we should acknowledge that there are some smart people, as you said, Barry, the, the people who you, you were describing as staying out of the conversation, who are talking up about this potential threat from AI. Yeah, and, and look, I, th- I, I think it is, you know, there, there's some element of truth to it, right? I, I do think as a society that we do put the stop gaps in, um, and, I, and, and I do think it, it does require regulation, right? Especially where you're running. And, and the problem with AI is that the, the sexy stuff is really just on the tip. You know, the chat GTP, the piece where people uh, get involved. Like, in my day-to-day life, like machine learning and AI are extremely boring academic things, right? Like, like it's, it's lots of heavy lifting in, in making sure that the AI is able to do what it's able to do. And so we're already almost, we've built in the regulations because we're self-regulating to see are our neural nets actually performing the way we want them to and all that. So absolutely, I think anywhere where, for example, an AI or machine learning algorithm could be, you know, making critical decisions, of course, it should be regulated. And even you mentioned chat GTP. I mean, that 
that should be just regulated because it, it produces so much nonsense. I mean, it's an incredible tool. I use it, but it also creates an awful lot of nonsense, right? So it needs needs an awful lot of stop gaps in there. So I think I think we can find that happy medium. We always tend to do find that happy medium. And and you mentioned some of the previous moral panics over the years. Mm. Guess what? Found a happy medium and we're all still here. You know? Well, I'll come back to those previous moral panics. But Brendan, Barry touched on a point there, which you had also brought up in a letter you wrote a few days ago to the Financial Times. And it was a pecuniary a financial incentive that you were suggesting might be also um, at stake here, that some of the uh, the forces who are stirring a panic here, uh, based on what you say might be modest technological pro- uh, progress, um, are actually tech companies themselves. And you say that nobody ever got rich by assessing technology sort of irrationally. How much of a factor do you think that is here? Well, I, I don't think there's necessarily an intention on the part of the AI tech companies to stir panic in an explicit or a conscious way. But I do think that, you know, pronouncements along those lines are rewarded with clicks, with attention, and therefore with share prices. So I'm not paranoid. I'm not a conspiracy theorist about this. But I do think all humans and organizations repeat behaviors that are rewarded and certainly, you know, announcing that, uh, you know, the, the there's an existential threat or that everything is going to change forever. It is rewarded with attention and it's rewarded with news coverage and it's mm. rewarded, you know, with all those things that we value so much. And indeed, uh, stock and share prices, you, you see them, you know, you, you, you see them going up as well. And of course, a lot of the um, the points that you mentioned that are being made um, are, are applicable to any technology. So, you know, saying AI could be weaponized, it could be concentrated in the hands of the few, or it could be misused. We can say exactly the same thing about phones, cars, about anything that exists on the planet. Well, I'll I'll give you one. The printing press, the 15th century, this thing came, came about called the printing press. You didn't need the imprimatur of the church. You didn't need the imprimatur of the monarchs. You now had this facility to spread all sorts of wild and crazy ideas among your peers and among the public. I mean, you know, how how, how dangerous was that? I mean, it, the printing press changed the world, but it didn't necessarily change it badly. Uh, or it probably, if anything, it has a net positive effect. You could say very similar about the internet, or if you like, the flourishing or spreading of the internet, that it it gave voice to many people without voice. And I suppose what's happened there, you know, there was this idea that this would lead to the emergence of truth. Because we rarely know what's going to happen with big technological change. We predict it all wrongly. And what happened with the Internet, of course, was more a cacophony of dissent mm. rather than um, uh, rather than uh, the emergence of, of clear truth. Uh, however, again, we survived this reaching what Barry there describes as some kind of a happy medium. There are winners to an extent and there are losers, but there is a medium uh, or, a, or a level achieved with all of these changes. Mm. And the idea, the idea that this time is radically different to previous times is another constant. This notion that, yes, there's always change, but this time is more profound, it's bigger, it's worse. And we always think this. And of course, in a sense, it's true. Every kind of change is different once we're not comparing the iPhone 8 with the iPhone 7. Mm. If we're comparing big changes, it's always different every time. Barry, I'm in my late 40s. When I was a kid, it was television. We were all going to be couch potatoes. There'd be no sport. Your eyesight would be ruined. We were all going to leave mediocre 
zombie-like lives with underperforming um, IQs. But that was nothing compared to video games, which came after that. We were all going to become violent, murderous sociopaths. And God, you know, help the kids that came afterwards with smartphones and 3G. They were going to have to be admitted to hospitals in their hundreds of thousands with their brains malformed. And if that didn't get them, the social media platforms with all of the predators and all of the fake friends and, and you know, questioning their self-esteem, that was going to finish them off before the 5G death rays from Chinese companies, you know, incinerated their bodies. And yet here we are. And yet here we are, to Brendan's point. I mean, it, it really is something every five or 10 years, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and funnily enough, I have, I have, kids now of, of that age of the teenage into teenage years now and I spend a lot of time going into schools as well doing talks and things like that and incredibly kids are a hell of a lot smarter and a hell of a lot nicer than uh, than we were when I was younger and I also coach sport and even though I've been told for so long that it, you know that this was going to be the dad to sport kids are a hell of a lot better hurlers <laughs> and rugby players than we were when I was younger so it they're, and, they're and also nicer the than the parents, aren't they? They're they're more civilized yeah. than the parents. What? Oh my God! Like like uh, my son said to me recently. He said because one of the one of his mates said something that was a tiny bit mean to him, and he's he's told me, and he was like, you know, what do I do? And and I reamed off like things I would have said back to the to the kid, and he just said, "How the hell are you so good at this?" And also. What the hell is wrong with you? So, so they're definitely nicer than we were, you know, and, and, and I think they have a better life. And the Internet is the great example here because I think we would it, it's a really good way to compare to AI and even chat GTT is like how inefficient would we be without the Internet now? Like, for example, this conversation we're having now, I fly back from Stuttgart, go join you in the studio. Brendan, come in as well. And the hope that people might be tuning in at the exact time that we're speaking compared to, you know, where we're at now with the, with the Internet. And I think it, when you think about because people worry about the 10 xing a coder or whatever, and it's going to put all these lawyers out of work and all that. Right. But actually, it's just going to make us more efficient. And, it, and, and, and that but that's very boring. Right. Like, like that's an awful boring to, to say that we'll just be more efficient. And it isn't, by the way, we're not going to make more free time. Because uh, we've we've all bought into that myth over the years. Well, well. I can tell we you find something else to do. I can tell you, as a working journalist in a newspaper website across uh, different media, the front page headline "Life just got a little bit better." Rarely will rarely sell many copies. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, exactly. Brendan, um, I was in California last week for the launch of Apple's shiny new gadget, which they call the Vision Pro. You, you might have seen a coverage of it. This is the virtual and augmented reality headset. And I have to say, some of the doomers are at it again. They're predicting this dystopian future that's lonely, where we're all furtive and solitary and we don't meet each other. We just stay in our rooms or our basements with our headsets on and, and live in this very, very strange, solitary uh, world. Um, are, are we seeing maybe the next iteration of uh, the, 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 the catastrophizing of a technology? 
Yes, I mean, perhaps we are. And I did listen to your podcast about this just this morning, um, Adrian. It was fascinating. And the point you and your colleagues made that the, what struck you all was that this was somewhat isolating, mm. that the methods the new Apple headset uses to connect with other people, they, they appear a bit odd, um, you know, rather than sort of doing something collectively in a room. I do think that's an issue. But yeah, of course, we're going to get this onslaught of people with placards saying that the end is nigh and that somehow this... Uh, the arrival of this technology will reduce a human's need to connect and be with another human. But, you know, th th that that need is absolutely hardwired into us. So, I mean, yes, obviously the, the, the doomsayers will be out in force again, as they always are about these things. But this has been going on for so long, people predicting um, th th this kind of negative outcome with technology. And I know you went back to video games and television mm. and telephone, but if we go way, way back, we find the exact same thing. And for a minute, uh, I'm going to go back, if I may, to 1875. That's 1875, now a long time ago, when steam power was was the big technology. And here's a chap called James Duncan. He's writing in 1875 that a striking feature of the present age is that it is one of incessant mental activity. Mm. All is hurry, bustle and excitement. People have become restless and ever seeking some new stimulus. Mm. And he saw this as leading to an increase in, in human suffering and, in his words, insanity. So this is a constant. I predict you could get five solid op-eds across newspapers on that very topic if you just you know swapped in some other technology for uh, for steam um barry what do you think is next that we're all going to be freaking out about we've talked a lot about ai now i just brought up apple's vision pro vr has been around in a while is there anything on the horizon that you can see um that we that is going to freak us out in the next few years uh, I mean, it's it's impossible to predict. Like I, I, I always like I, I again the cynic cynic in me. Even judging a technology like Apple's, it, I I usually look back in three years and see right because I've just been so wrong on so many things over the years that that's that's kind of how I how I look at things and and um. But I do I do think that we will incrementally. But it, I actually disagree with a lot of that panic as well. I I actually do think we're coming out of an an era. There was an awful lot of nonsense, and it's obviously tied to the markets over the last 10 or so years. Um, and I think we're leaving that nonsense uh, era and moving more into the data uh, mm. era. And I'm seeing it, especially in business. People are a bit more cynical, want to see proof and want to see that. So I know in, in our industry, no one's really talking about autonomy that much. It's all very limited and, and you know, compared to a number of years ago. But what we you will see is, incremental improvements in driver assistance that'll make your life a bit easier you know what i mean mm. and and that that to me is the way forward here with ai right like how we look at it is gentle nudges so if our technology for example saves your life you're not going to be as distrustful of ai after that incident you know then then if we say because people like control they really like like people are afraid of flying even though you know they're way more likely to to die in a car crash right and that's because someone else is in control. So I think managing that message is, is really important with AI as well. Brandon, um, what's the right mental approach that we should take to all this? Should we just calm down? 
we should just calm down, but also we should be aware of our tendencies to panic and our tendency to amplify stories about imagined catastrophe. There are more productive ways that we can do that, like you know, watching horror movies or re- reading books and things like this, uh, rather than uh, necessarily announcing that AI will represent the end of humanity as we know it. And of course, we'll always find something to worry about, but it would suit us an enormous amount better to worry about climate change and devote some of this energy to trying to change that, rather than picking on what could be a really a displacement activity, choosing something else to worry about because we're frightened to worry about the big thing, which is climate change. Brendan Kelly, Professor of Psychiatry at Trinity College Dublin and Barry Lund, Founder and CEO of Provisio. Thank you very much both for joining us today. That's all we have time for on The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, in association with Square. Thanks to Tabitha Monaghan, who produced Conan Doherty on video and Gav Hennessy on sound. And we will be with you again next week. Bye-bye. Yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranla, called butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm Not Here to Hurt You, a brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now wherever you get your podcasts.